0: The Afterwards podcast is taking a break this week, but check out one of Book TV's newest podcasts about books. This week, a discussion with the Associated Press's Hillel Itali, who spoke with us about the recent antitrust case against a proposed Penguin-Random House-Simon Schuster merger.
1: This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX is the Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX is the Veil,
0: now streaming, only on Hulu. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care On About
2: Books, we delve into the latest news about the publishing industry with interesting insider interviews with publishing industry experts. We'll also give you updates on current nonfiction authors and books, the latest book reviews, and we'll talk about the current nonfiction books featured on C-SPAN's Book TV. And welcome to the About Books program and podcast. Well, the court case involving the merger of two large publishers, Penguin Random House and Simon & Schuster, will be our primary focus in this episode. But first, here's some other publishing news. In the wake of the stabbing of author Salman Rushdie in New York earlier this month, the International Publishers Association released a statement condemning the attack. Quote, The attack on Salman Rushdie is tragic, but it will serve to redouble our commitment to fighting for the rights of authors to speak out and of publishers to disseminate their words. Without these freedoms, publishers and writers are effectively muzzled. Well, when it comes to the business of publishing, book sales have been falling this year compared to last. In July, book sales were down 6% year to date, according to the news site Publishing Perspectives. That comes after being down 7% year-over-year in June and down 4% in May. Well, some of the best-selling nonfiction books this year, according to the New York Times Weekly List, includes The 1619 Project by Nicole Hannah-Jones, Peter Schweitzer's Red-Handed How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win, Former Attorney General Bill Barr's One Damn Thing After Another appeared on the New York Times bestseller list as well. And Fox News host Pete hegses new book, Battle for the American Mind, It's About Education, and It Too is on the New York Times bestseller list. Well, joining us now on About Books is Hillel Itali. He's with the Associated Press, and he's been covering books and publishing as a reporter for about 30 years. Mr. Itali, there's a court case going on here in Washington, D.C., involving two publishers. Can you give us the specifics? Sure. Um, This actually begins
1: late in 2020 when Penguin Random House, which is the largest book publisher in the U.S., and and, and most people would say in the world, um, announced it was purchasing Simon & Schuster which is people rank around fourth uh, in the U.S., and it would form what would be by far the biggest publishing house uh, in this country and probably ever in the world. Um, right from the start, there were uh, expressions of concern because of the size this, this new company would be. Uh, in 2021, the uh, Justice Department announced that they were going to try to block the merger, Uh, The trial uh, began a couple of weeks ago uh, in in Washington, in district court, uh, federal district court in Washington. And the thrust of the government case is this. Uh, They are looking at a very specific area in publishing. They are looking at book deals in which the author receives an advance of $250,000 or more. And what they're contending is, is that by merging these two publishers, you're gonna really kind of narrow the market of bidders for books like this, which means that publishers will start paying less for books like that, which will mean fewer books and in general, fewer books being bad for the public in general. So uh, that has been the argument that's been going on now for a couple of weeks in court of what effect would this merger have uh, specifically on this market for, for, for books that cost 250000 or more?
2: And so it, it seems very specific what they're looking at. You've mentioned that Penguin Random House is the largest. Simon & Schuster about the fourth largest. Who are some of the other major publishers and where do they fall on this?
1: Well, right now in publishing, there is what we call, or it's generally called in the industry, the big five which is Penguin Random House, Simon & Schuster, uh, Hachette, Macmillan, and HarperCollins. And so what you have is those five publishers, when you get into books that are kind of the kinds of advances we're talking about, a a pretty substantial percentage of uh, of books of that kind are published by these five. And so what the government is saying, well, now it's going to only be four. And isn't it just inevitable when you only have four that that means that, you know, the market is going to change. It's going to short. It's, there's going to be fewer bidders, inevitably uh, less money. And that means uh, harder for authors to be able to write their books.
2: Who has been testifying at the trial? Some of the well-known authors and what's their point of view? Well,
1: you know, uh, you, you, you had, say, Andrew Solomon, award-winning uh, author of uh, Noonday Demon. Uh, he was one. Um, the most famous by far and the one everybody has been talking about is Stephen King. And he is an interesting case. He uh, has for a long time published with Simon & Schuster, the Simon & Schuster imprint, uh, Scribner. And, but he, as soon as that merger was announced, he was among those, he, he is a very active Twitter account, came out and said, boy, I don't really think I like this. You know, uh, this is going to mean the, 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 the rich get richer. It's going to be bad for smaller publishers. So. He actually came to testify on, the, on behalf of the government. He did it uh, voluntarily. He made it clear when he was on the stand they didn't have to make him come down or anything. Uh, he wanted to testify. And uh, that was by far, I would say, the one that people kind of were paying the most attention to. Um, I think the consensus is, is that um, he didn't necessarily add anything to the government case but um, he, in general, was you know, an interesting person to have there. Um, he uh, began publishing almost 50 years ago. And one of the things he was doing was explaining how, when he started out, how how much more wide open it was. You know, the publishers, there were a lot more publishers. Uh, you know, they were smaller in those days. And he has seen all of this change uh, come uh, o- over time, including his, his original publisher, uh, his, his breakthrough book Carrie, was published by Doubleday, uh, a very old, venerable publisher, which has since been was purchased by Alfred A. Knopf, and now is part of Penguin Random House. So what he was basically saying is, um, I really, you know, I think it's bad when when somebody gets that big. I, I'm concerned about the smaller publishers. So um, in general, you know, it's hard to say whether or not he advanced the specific case about author salaries uh, 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 advances. But, um, you know, he certainly was somebody people were paying attention to.
2: Well, Mr. Itali, isn't it a little bit ironic that you mentioned that Scribner is part of Simon & Schuster and Doubleday is part of Penguin Random House? Now, there have been some mergers in this industry. There have been a lot. Uh, One of the things that is so uh, notable about this case is,
1: is that there have been mergers going on for decades, all of them going through with very little trouble. Uh, It was only a decade ago that Penguin and Random House uh, merged to became Penguin Random House. At the time, the biggest merger in publishing ever and very little trouble, uh, went went right through. Their merger, you know, the the industry has been consolidating for a long time. Uh, We're in a different situation now, if only because the Biden administration in general has made it clear that um, they want to take a close look now at antitrust, at consolidation. And so this is sort of a high profile example of that. Um, You know, this does not come in a vacuum. This comes at a time when this particular administration is saying, okay, enough of just letting all the mergers go through. We're
2: going to take a closer look now. Now, when you look at mergers overall, this is about a $2 billion merger. This is not a huge merger by some standards, correct? No, not at all. But um, it is still, though,
1: book publishing does hold a, a special place uh, in the culture. If, if not measured by numbers, you just measure in general in terms of books are uh, an invaluable part of, of, of our of our country of our democracy um and one of the things the justice department is saying is we need it, uh, it we need it to be as open and diverse as possible i mean our society depends on as many different kinds of voices out there as possible so uh, we're concerned if we see that maybe that's kind of being you know uh, made smaller so you know the money the, the numbers in themselves are really only not really the biggest part of this it's more about the place in our society that book publishing has
2: well when you look at other industries three big car companies in the US left three mobile phone companies in the US but there's still a big 5 when it comes to publishing
1: yeah i mean all of it's relative and all of it's what uh, has been tradition over time um you know, I think at this point they have to pick and choose where they can. Um, it, it, it's quite possible, you yeah, Penguin and Random, uh, Penguin and Simon and Schuster, just decided not to do this. Uh, the government might be looking at mergers uh, elsewhere. Uh, it just happened to be a, by. It was such by far, you know, the biggest merger in this industry's history, and coming at a moment. When the government's saying, "Okay, enough of just letting mergers go through. Let's 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 really start taking a closer look." So a lot of it it has to do with this with the nature of this particular merger, proposed merger, and the time that
2: it, that it was announced. Hillel Itali, the Penguin Random House lawyer prior to the start of the trial, said this quote. Penguin Random House's acquisition of Simon & Schuster will strengthen the already vigorous competition among publishers to find and sell the books readers most want to read. How are they backing up that argument in court? It's very interesting what you have. I guess you have this in any number of cases is you have each
1: side looking at the industry and especially looking at this higher level of of advances and each of them looking at it from their own way. The government is saying hey you once had five big publishers now you're going to have four and it is going to it, you know and, and they're the ones who really dominate this particular part of the market and isn't it inevitable it's going to shrink um what the publishers are saying or what 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 random house is saying is saying hey stop saying the big five there are other publishers out there there's scholastic uh, the, which publishes you know harry potter books there's W.W. Norton, there's Chronicle Books, there's a new publishing house called Astra House. You know, they're, they're saying, hey, look, you're, you're ignoring all of these other voices in there. So sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, how you're looking at the given market. So what they're saying is, look, we're, we're, we're not the only ones there. We're, Big five is not the whole picture. There are a lot of others. They will also say, like, look, we will just be a better company where we're we're just they talk in terms of being able to streamline various you know whether it's you know distribution and warehousing becoming more efficient and that we will be a better company and thus better able to put books out put good
2: books out and that's good for everybody what's simon and schuster's attitude and what have they said about this merger well i mean, they
1: come out and, and, and supported it. I mean, um, now Simon & Schuster, it's a complicated situation. Um, Simon & Schuster, at the time this sale went through, they were owned by uh, uh, Viacom, uh, related CBS Viacom. It, it's now uh, uh, Paramount Global. Simon & Schuster, the rumors of Simon & Schuster being put up for sale is a stretch back for, for a few years now. Uh, ViaCom had kind of come out and said we just don't see Simon and Schuster book publishing as part of our long-term strategy. So I think at Simon and Schuster there's long been the understanding, okay, someone's going to buy us. And I think at least what they're sort of saying is like, look, if someone's going to buy us, why not Penguin Random House? At least it's another book publisher. They understand what we do. You know, they'll they will respect our culture. One of the things that Penguin, Random House, Simon & Schuster all have in common, I mean, these, these have all been around for a long time, I and mean, these have long been kind of uh, cores of the publishing industry. So they're kind of saying, hey, we, you know we all respect that. We've published all of these great writers. We're going to continue that tradition. One of the things that is put out as a concern is suppose this merger is blocked. There's still a general consensus that Paramount is still going to want to sell Simon and Schuster, and so some kind of raise the concern. Well, what if they are bought out by just some, you know, venture capitalist who really doesn't care about books? You know, that all the venture capitalist wants to do is, you know, beef up the stock price, make a bunch of cuts, you know, and then sell it off again and make a nice profit, and and but really decimate the, the publisher Simon and Schuster in the meantime. So I think there's a general understanding. One way or another, Simon & Schuster is expected to be sold, and why not Penguin Random House again? Why not another publisher and a publisher who sort of appreciates uh, the legacy Simon & Schuster has?
2: Where is the case being heard, and who's hearing it? Well, it is in Washington uh, Federal
1: District Court. Uh, the judge is Florence Y. Pan, who has been... Uh, I believe uh, no, uh, is uh, nominated uh, for the appeals uh, court, uh, a very highly regarded judge. Um, she has been very active uh, in the case. She, she does not hesitate to ask questions. Um, I think there's a general feeling that her questions have been a little tougher on Penguin Random House. Um, she has certainly looked very closely and, and has appeared to be somewhat skeptical of the idea that doing this merger uh, is not going to uh, change uh, the market. Um, however, as I'm sure you know, we you can never make any conclusions. It's been known that a judge can appear to be taking one side during a you know, during the hearing and then rule another way. But at least as as you know, everyone who has been following this uh, has been noting she certainly seems to be taking a tougher line of questioning on
2: Penguin Random House. Hillel Itali, have Hachette or HarperCollins weighed in with an opinion on this merger? Now, they have both. It's an interesting case. Um, Hachette and HarperCollins
1: uh, have both opposed it. And yet you have a bit of an irony here because... Uh, HarperCollins was one of the uh, bidders for it. They've made it clear they would have liked to have put Simon & Schuster. Hachette did not make a uh, an actual bid, but uh, their CEO actually said on the stand, boy, I, I kind of wish they did. And yeah, I'd really, you know, we'd also, we'd like to have Simon & Schuster. So it's an interesting situation. What they're saying is, They're not necessarily against the uh, shrinking big five to big four. They're saying, but look, come on, Penguin Random House was already number one. That's a special case. We're not quite that big. So, you know, in our case, it's a little bit different.
2: And just to review before we close down our conversation on this, this merger is specifically being challenged By advances, big advances to big name authors, correct? Right. This is
1: the perspective they're taking. Uh, My understanding is it's something like, like almost like a labor kind of issue. You know how you're being compensated for your work. They are focusing on this particular part of the market. In fact, one of the defenses Penguin Random House is saying is like, look, you're just looking at a small number of books here. You know. you're not considering the vast number of books that don't fall into this category. And the response from the government is saying, yeah, but you know, this is really where a lot of the you know, attention goes to. It's such an important part of the market and it's going to clearly change that. And so that's why, you know, we really feel we have to step in here.
2: Hello, Itali, you've been covering the publishing world and book publishers for nearly 30 years. What's the state of the industry today?
1: Well, one of the things that's happened in the past couple of years is when when the pandemic began, there was initial feeling of, oh, God, we're really in trouble. You know, all the bookstores had to close down and there was a feeling like, OK, we're, we're, we're in for it here. And they were anticipating layoffs and such. And then the opposite happened. Um, more people started buying books. You know, maybe they just didn't. More people at home people not going say to the movies or to concerts so there was suddenly there was more time to read uh 2021 was one of the best years ever in book publishing it was just a tremendous year uh 2022 not quite as strong as 2021 but still relatively speaking a strong year um one thing is i mean this comes at a this does not come at a time when you know uh Book publishers are sort of desperate to save themselves or anything like that. This comes at a a good time for the publishing industry sales-wise.
2: How shocking to you was the stabbing of Salman Rushdie? You know, um,
1: it's something that was always on, I'm sure, somewhere in the back of his mind always on the back of any number of people's minds. I've been to a lot of events where he has read or I've been just been to events where he's just attended and just chatted with him. Um, In the back of my mind, I've always in those events have wondered, Oh God, what if something happens? So I don't know how to measure it in terms of shocking or, or it's just, it had been so long since he had really been in the news. And, and maybe there was this feeling like, okay, you know, the the point of true danger is not there anymore. And so maybe in that sense, it's, it, it's shocking in that maybe there was this feeling, which I guess turned out to be an illusion that, okay, everyone is just sort of, Moved on from that. Um, I thought one of the notable things is the alleged assailant. Obviously, you know, we can't. We just have to say alleged. To this point, there's no formal you know, trial or anything yet. Um, it, he was young. He was 24. Uh, he wasn't born when this book was was published or when all of the attention was given to it. So one of the things it said, I felt, was boy, this. The idea of this book has lingered you know, long after anybody really had been talking about it a lot, it, it, you know, I don't think it's a book necessarily that had sold a lot of copies in recent years, yet it's still, in obviously among certain people, it's still there as some kind of, of you know, of, of, of symbol, something that, that, that hangs on. So that's something that was striking to, to me, that You didn't even have to be born when that book came out to to clearly feel like, okay, you know, uh, I I really have an issue here with this author.
2: And at this point in mid-August, when we're taping this, it looks like he will survive, albeit injured badly
1: yes i mean you know we all cross our fingers uh, about this i mean he certainly has sustained uh, serious injuries uh, you know he was stabbed in the stomach uh, is uh, one of his eyes appears to have been badly damaged but you know indications is he's no longer what we would say in critical condition he had been on a ventilator was taken off of it and so at this point i think it's You know, we just wait and hope that we hear from him at some point. He gives out some kind of statement. I mean, one of the things that's notable about him is, you know, he has been very unafraid to speak out um, over the years. He is not a reclusive author, a very public author. uh, Someone, you know, he was forced into hiding initially, and that's really not him. He's not one of those writers who just wants to be left alone. I mean, he likes to be out there. He likes to, to to engage with people. And so I think, you know, the, the hope is that uh, that's something he'll still do. But, you know, we still, we just have to see. It's only, it's really only barely been a week uh, as, of, as of we're taping right now.
2: Well, Hillel Atali, let's close back on the trial. What is expected in the next couple weeks? How long do you expect the Penguin Random House-Simon and Schuster merger trial to last? It's not supposed to
1: last much longer. Uh, perhaps end this week or go into next week, but not much longer. And then later this fall, uh, Judge Pan is, is expected to rule on it. And from there, we'll see. Uh, Penguin Random House, if it goes against them, Penguin Random House could appeal it. And then Again, that's, uh, there's no way of knowing what would happen if they did that, you know, what the process would be from, from there. So uh, not much longer of a trial is expected. And, and again, some point this fall, uh, we'll get a decision on it.
2: Hillel Itali covers books and publishing for the Associated Press. We really appreciate your time on About Books. Thank you. Well, each Tuesday, dozens of books are published and released. Here are some recent ones. Senator Tim Scott's new memoir is entitled America, a Redemption Story. It's about the South Carolina Republican's upbringing and political career and his core messages about what the U.S. means to him. He is one of only 11 African Americans to have ever served in the U.S. Senate. Former Donald Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort, who was pardoned by the former president in 2020, is out with his new book, *Political Prisoner: Persecuted, Prosecuted, but Not Silenced*. The Guardian's Lloyd Green called Mr. Manafort's book quote, "primarily an exercise in score settling," pointing an accusatory finger at federal prosecutors and lashing out at enemies. Another new book, *In Raising Lazarus: Hope, Justice, and the Future of America's Overdose Crisis*, author Beth Macy follows her award-winning book, *Dopesick* with another account of America's opioid crisis. A Kirkus Review dubbed her newest work, quote, A profoundly disconcerting book that, with luck, will inspire reform to aid the dope sick and punish their suppliers. A.J. Rice is the author of The Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. Jennifer Harper in the Washington Times describes it as, quote, a rollicking read targeting left-leaning influence in America. And the New Yorker recently reviewed Sarah Stadola's new book, The Last Resort, which looks at beachside development. They say it is a chronicle of corrosive tourism, which points out the ecological dangers due to the popularity of development on the beach. And the National Review looked at the state of black America. It's edited by W.B. Allen, who is CEO of the Center for Urban Renewal and Education. The conservative magazine describes the essays in the state of black America as offering a, quote, empowering message of individual responsibility inspired by black men and women of astounding ability. And finally, when it comes to new books, the Wall Street Journal recently reviewed Lev Manan's study of the Federal Reserve. The Fed Unbound is described by the paper as a short, crisp, nuanced volume that will help you understand what the Fed is up to. Well, each month, Book TV has a program called In-Depth. We bring on one author for a deep dive into his or her body of work. Recently, talk show host, author, and gubernatorial candidate Larry Elder was our guest. Here's how he responded to one caller.
0: On homeless, uh, you're quite right. This is the wealthiest country in in the world, and there's no reason why we should have this kind of problem. But most of the people who are homeless have uh, mental problems, are alcoholics, or they are addicted to drugs. Um, And that's a spiritual problem. Uh, I talked to Dr. Ben Carson when I was was running for governor and he talked about a plan that he had, and had the Trump administration had a second term, they already had this ready to go. It was on federal land, so it didn't have the same regulations and rules that you have uh, on other lands, and they were able to uh, build a lot of uh, low cost small housing. And he told me that the mayor was on board of L.A., even Governor Gavin Newsom was on board, uh, and there was plenty of money to treat people, and they would treat people first, uh, and then they would be offered. Opportunities to live on federal property uh, in these houses that, were, that would be built. And, he, and Ben Carson believes that most of the homeless people would, would, be, would take up people on their offer and would then be, be willingly re- relocated to these areas uh, where federal property is. Uh, we have to do something, though. Uh, it's gotten worse and worse. When Gavin Newsom was mayor of San Francisco, a two term mayor, he promised to end the homeless problem in San Francisco before the end of his term. Well, it's worse than ever. And when he was governor, lieutenant governor for eight years, he pounded the desk and complained that he had nothing to do. And I suggested that maybe, just maybe, he might want to fulfill his campaign promise to solve the homeless problem in San Francisco. Uh, it's only gotten worse. Uh, it's not a housing-first problem. Uh, it's a spiritual problem. Uh, and there's a direct relationship between the fa- breakdown of the family and the large number of people who are homeless. Uh, but we can address this by dealing with their mental illness and dealing with their alcohol all- alcoholism, and then building low-cost housing so that they would have somewhere to go.
2: And a reminder that the Larry Elder In-Depth Program and all other in-depth programs are available to watch in their entirety online on our website, booktv.org. Now, before we close, we want to let you know that Book TV will be live at the National Book Festival on Saturday, September 3rd. It's held here in Washington, D.C. at the Convention Center. This is the 22nd year of the festival. Book TV has been live every year, and this is the first year since a pandemic that it's back in person. You'll hear from authors talking about such topics as race, Jim Thorpe, political conspiracy, the bald eagle, all day long coverage. You can find the schedule on our website, booktv.org. And if you happen to be in town, come on down and say hi. And thanks for joining us on About Books, a program and podcast produced by C-SPAN's Book TV. Now, Book TV will continue to bring you publishing news and author programs, which you can always watch online at booktv.org. And if you want to download this podcast, you can do so at C-SPAN Now or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: If you liked this episode, be sure to follow About Books. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe so you never miss an episode.